Welcome to the latest episode of Aerospace Radio Station Extended. People to travel with us by uh, just understanding that we can cut 80 to 90% of your travel time compared to a train and a car. Our path is very clear. Stay focused, do what you promise, and, and don't change just for the sake of a, of a few bucks more. So there's no ancillary, there's no extras, client pure. Your aerospace radio station. Hello there, I'm Peter Johnson and welcome to the latest feature in our data series. I'm delighted that we have an exclusive opportunity to talk to one of the most innovative airline businesses in the world. I have with me Tomislav Lang, who has an impressive airline background and is the managing director of Fly V. Tommy, welcome to Extended. Tommy, welcome to Extended. Good evening, people. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, really excited about uh, talking to you today, Tommy, uh, and about the model of Fly V. But to put it into context, I mentioned your background in airlines. Can you just share with us some of that experience that you have? Absolutely. Let me start with sharing to you how I got uh, into aviation and was exactly with 13 days of age. Why is that? My father <laughs> was an airline manager for many years and uh, my father always used to say the most beautiful way to travel is by air and, and I never got that out of my system. And I started to work in aviation with 20 years of age, had a tremendous grade of mentors in, in the past 23 years, one of my biggest mentors and supporters was uh, Alex Libby. And this is where the whole Fly V story actually started. So that was at the airport of Bern. Alex was managing his four business jets, uh, Dorney 328, the Q400, uh, Bombardier series. And, and this guy taught me so many things and uh, also trusted me when it came to uh, transforming his 30-year-old uh, company into a full operating airline where we ended up transporting 250,000 passengers per year, a record high, unseen before at the airport of Bern, 35 destinations. And yeah, I was super lucky to have had a great team um, out of that time. I know Sebastian, who's uh, Sebastian Merian, who's our investor today as well in Flyby. And um, yeah, worked for many big airlines and also today, um, looking into the eVTOL space, looking into what's happening there in the future. And I just see a huge need. And in the past 10 days, uh, 10 years, I was always thinking, oh my gosh, how can we make things better? And today, technology is there. Today, the right aircraft are going to be there. And I met this great guy, Anton, formed a team around Anton and myself. And basically, we're good to go to reshape uh, the future of air travel. So, Tell us about Fly V then, um, Tommy, and what really makes it, what, what makes Fly V so different from, I suppose, a conventional airline model, even like the one you've just described? It makes it so different because two crazy guys, Anton and myself, put all of our knowledge into, <laughs> into, this, into this company. And we, believe me, we talked a lot. In the past two and a half years, we talked so much. And Anton is... Uh, my co-founder and co-partner and CEO to the company who has a vast knowledge in aviation and technology. Um, I have a vast uh, knowledge in operation and setting up airline companies, and it just matched. I mean, Anton and I couldn't be more different. If you see us, you would never believe that those two guys found each other, but we actually did, so it's like plus and minus. <laughs> um, but, but 
that there is no way without him or without me. And what's so different is that we're taking uh, the, the approach we take is a very rational one, but with all the emotion we can put into it because it is all about connecting people faster and better in these central markets. But it's not only the aircraft that will be helping us on that and fueling the demand of the future. It's also the pressure we have in becoming more sustainable. And it's also the, the, the use of uh, highly sophisticated algorithms that Alvina Mutigulina, who is our algorithm expert, and Anton have uh, uh, brought up and have also calculated those algorithms, how they have to run in order to pool these central markets in order to assure uh, scalability to our product. And when we brought all of these pieces together with our knowledge, uh, it just made uh, the, the, the magic happen. And we said, hey, we have a business case here and um, just waiting to confirm it in the future. So as I understand it, the FlyV model is a demand-led mobility model. So what you're looking to do is match the desire to travel and predominantly from smaller airports, smaller environments, um, so that people don't have to travel to uh, the main city airports to travel short distances. Am I getting that right? Is that what the, the model is around? So if I, Peter Johnson, want to go um, from uh, – from where you are now in Stuttgart to maybe Bremen or somewhere like that. I might get a train in the past. I might drive it. I might do both. But what you're saying is your model will take you by air from one place to the other. Is, is that right? This is, this is absolutely correct. And this will not work from day number one um, like uh, a wish. So we will need to grow it. But basically what you described is, we know that our competition, when we look at it from the air perspective, is not the classical Lufthansa Ryanair jet. They do what they do highly efficiently, connecting main hubs. So we looked into the aircraft and our technology and, and saw, look, here in Europe, there is 3,500 unused airports. And we can fly into wow. these airports because the Tecna P2012 that we want to utilize in its current version is capable of landing at airfields below 800 meters. The future stall version can go below 400 meters. And our future technology partner like Electra can land even below that number. And so we saw with adding the right aircraft into the right market, we can grow something that is non-existent. And if you look into travel notes today, driving with a car from the airport of Friedrichshafen to Brunswick, um, or um, in regions like Denmark, like uh, the Nordic countries where you have a lot of uh, water in between of destination, it can take you hours. And every note we have checked for that comes at 9 to 12 hours train or car ride comes at one to one and a half hours flight. Now, the next question was, since this is very decentral markets, how can we pool these decentral markets? And I yeah. said, well, look, I can come up with this algorithm where I basically solve the riddle and the puzzle every day. What will this mean, Peter? This will be that we're not selling you a scheduled flight. We're selling you on a specific O&D. We're selling you a time frame. That's the first limit that you give to our system. The second one is you tell us whether you're capable and whether you're willing to take a one or two stop approach on your travel to your final destination. So there will be customers who will be requesting us to fly them directly within a very specific time frame, which will come at a higher cost. And people like myself who don't want to travel 10 hours to, uh, no, 12 hours to Oxford from Stuttgart Airport with stopping in Heathrow, taking a bus, and taking a taxi. I want to get to Heathrow in two hours because I need to be back in the same day. The more we grow the system, the more we fuel, our algorithms become predictive. And that's then the beauty of the game. So we can exponentially grow, use economies of scale, and match them with economies of density, and therefore have an unmatched 
a proprietary algorithm that is uh, combining uh, these markets and make us grow, um, yeah, basically through the customer demanding those specific flights. That's revolutionary, Tommy, and almost in my experience, unbelievable that we can get to that point. What gives you the confidence that you think you can deliver that? I mean, I appreciate it's scalable. You have to start. But that demand from from me wishing to travel one place to another, how are you creating that demand in the first place? Well, look, back in 2010, people were laughing at us, telling us, you will never get any passenger out of the airport of Bern. And we proved them wrong. But not to prove them uh, to funding to, uh, with us, it's to prove that if you offer an efficient product and a good product to the market, people will book it. And within a short period of time, only two years after the start of operation within uh, Bern, we have achieved uh, growing numbers. The answer was, instead of traveling at three o'clock in the morning from the city of Bern to Zurich, being stuck in a traffic jam, arriving late at the airport, being fully in stress to arrive at 8.30 in London City, you could have woken up at 5.30, kissed your wife goodbye, and still arrive on time at 8.30 because we would depart at 6.20 in Bern. Now, the difference was, in that time, I had this great company and 180 of the best employees I could have ever had and a great airport and a great region, but the technology was not there. So we did not have the power of technology that we can use today with yeah. all of the AI and chat GPTs we have and predictive algorithms. I mean, there's crazy things out there um, and we will surely not use all of those, but we will use the best of those. And the aircraft that with Technum a 75-year-old aircraft manufacturer that has built an aircraft just five years ago that is super efficient. It's optimized to our 100 to 900 kilometers uh, of, of stage length, yeah. and we were calculating it five times back and forth. We talked to the partners in tech, and we were like, how did you make this happen? And they were like, well, we just built an efficient aircraft. So one plus one gave two, and we said, hey, perfect. That's the perfect fit to a perfect system. The technology yeah. is not perfect for, uh, for for certain missions, but for the mission that we want to achieve, there couldn't be a better one. So none of this can be really achievable without those developments you talked about in software, and even to a to a lesser extent, probably some of the technology hardware. What's gone into developing those algorithms? What sort of data and volumes of data do you have to process when you're running at full scale? Well, um, together with uh, our IT partners in uh, Poland, in Warsaw, Startup House, uh, we have created already our first prototype because, Peter, actually they asked us the same question, even uh, though they built a uh, software. We were like, ah, that cannot be hard. We have the idea. Anton and Alvina know the algorithms. You build the software. And they were like, oh, no, guys, it's not that easy. It seems to be, but it's not. So we have built a prototype to understand what will be needed. And we thought we could use a lot of off-the-shelf products on the market. Actually, there is none. So we're building and creating a fully new uh, software to this future on-demand market that I believe for advanced air mobility will be needed as well. Because the, the, the approach how you sell tickets in the future in this mobility world, which is on-demand more and more, we don't want to own our own cars anymore. We don't want to be stuck with high leasing costs. We, we just want to pay for what we use. Um, the, the main uh, development uh, in the software will go into learning from the algorithms and connecting our mathematicians who are running all of these uh, uh, calculations um, within the product and the fulfillment algorithm because what our software will need to do is, she, she uh, let's call her she, will need to understand how our output is generated on the product and how the um, output is generated on the fulfillment and how to marry both of those algorithms together. Because a lot of constraints will be in the system. How many crews do I have? 
where is the aircraft, which airport is demanded, versus what are the time frames, what are the limitations, what are the restrictions, and how will profitability kick in and how it will be more and more efficient. So it's a constant yeah. development where we start from a very basic software tool that is selling tickets and that is running the first easy algorithms. But as I've understood Anton, and you will, unfortunately, if you want to know more, uh, also need to talk to Anton more in deep dive because he's a specialist on that. But then the algorithm starts growing from the inside out. It, it, it gets bigger. It gets more complex. And is that because the technology, you know, we use the term machine learning a lot these days. Is that because it will start to learn from its from its own experiences? Um, from its own experiences? From the experience? So, so, uh, yeah, from the experience... Um, sorry, I didn't use, I wasn't very eloquent there. Apologies, Tommy. And so what I'm saying is um, the software is developed, the software is deployed, but as you use the software, it becomes more refined. So it's, it, in effect, starts to learn lessons from its live activities. Is that Absolutely. how it will get more sophisticated? It, it will get more sophisticated with this knowledge. It will get more sophisticated through um, our technology teams in behind. Uh, the mathematicians, understanding the customer, and constantly adopting to the ever-changing requests that come in. And this is exactly why in the first two years, we don't foresee to operate more than four aircraft, because it makes no sense. Uh, we first have to scale it up very small and build, build the foundation, and then later on, we can scale much faster. And this is also a missing piece in, in the future of, of on-demand travel, People forget that at the end, selling a ticket comes at a high cost. If I don't sell a ticket for tomorrow, this ticket is forever gone. And this yeah. is exactly my, the knowledge that this is how the discussion started with Anton. He was like, why did you sell Skyway Airlines? I was like, look, I was sick of predicting demand. I was sick of looking into the past because I didn't know how the future looks like. And Anton told me, look, if we do things right, connecting predictive tools as well. So we're working together with Downtown AI and, and other uh, companies that can predict uh, traffic streams. Once this is connected to our system, we will be able to fuel our system in order to understand where do I need to position my aircraft. And with this, we get more and more and more efficient, uh, giving the promise to also our investors that we are not looking back, we're always looking forward. So, I mean, we've mentioned a few things there, Tommy. It frightens the life out of me to think that you're going to have to develop a ticketing system on top of everything else. Um, in the airline world, that seems to be one of those challenges even the, the biggest of airlines have, have never really succeeded in. But um, you've got a ticketing system. You've got an aircraft positioning system. You've got uh, a demand-led um, passenger and costing system. But you've also, on top of that, got things like that will lead into the more practical aspects of running an airline model like this, of airspace demand, uh, air traffic um, pressures, you know, time of day. Will there be the airspace to fly into? Um, will it be closed? Will it be open? Are all those things coming into this amazing pot of technology and data as well? That's a crucial part. So, uh, yes, they will. So from a customer perspective, what we have done in the past years, we have talked to more than hundreds of uh, European and international airports. Just next week, I'm traveling to the Roots Conference in Istanbul, where we will also uh, meet uh, international uh, partners from that space. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny. Two years ago, everybody also here was like, yeah, okay, that's the next airline. A year later, they were like, hey, guys, we need to talk to you. There seems to be a little bit more to what you promised than what we thought. And also looking into the uh, political uh, space, uh, look, Denmark uh, has decided to close up their space for fossil fuel aircraft by 2030. Um, many other countries are looking into that. France has started to forbid uh, fossil fuel flights if there's a bad train connection. And the European Union wants to achieve that by 2050. Well, okay, so politics have decided and all the others are like, okay, what do we do now? And the airports gave us a clear feedback and statement and also in a written notice and 
it was at the beginning smaller ones, but now more and more the big ones as well approach us. They were like, hey, we really think you can offer us a, a great uh, uh, additional value. So the whole process on how we will manage our flights, I mean, we're flying with nine seaters. We've been very clear on that. We don't need the big terminals. We don't need the big security. Uh, um, we don't need to congest them even more. Let's put it like this. Uh, if there's an airport with an easy access uh, GAT private terminal, we'd, we'd rather go to that terminal. Yeah. Or like airports that are there but unused to scheduled services, they have a small terminal, but we don't need to transport the luggage. We don't need the whole check-in process. We can be safe and secure with the uh, procedures that we will install in order to, to conduct a safe flight like any other business jet. What the big difference is that our business jet is offered to a mass market because our prices will be more matchable to a car and a train ride. Right. Now, looking into the space, we're flying at 10,000 feet, maximum ceiling at 194 knots. Um, there is plenty of space in, in, in that uh, field. And we're looking to operate 100 aircraft by 2035, 150 maybe if we're really wow. good. A lot of things have to be right by then to, to really make this big vision work. Um, but looking also into the future development of urban air mobility, of regional air mobility, um, CESAR projects going on, UTM uh, space is being developed, new air routes are being developed. Um, but I'm not so much concerned about that because we will be flying in a zone where we won't interfere uh, with, with the big airlines. We also don't want to. I don't want to have yeah. a slot in arrival delay or departure delay just because another airport doesn't have enough runway capacity. That's exactly the beauty about flying into those decentralized airports. And this is why we say Munich Airport is a great airport. But we'd rather go to Oberpfaffenhofen, which is just uh, 20 kilometers in the, in the south of Munich. But I yeah. have a specific customer that doesn't need to go to uh, uh, the airport of Berlin. This pa passenger needs to go to the airport of Berlin Schönhagen, a very small niche airport that is being used by private jet operators already today. So why should we yeah. be using that space as well? Did you know that during the Falklands War in 1982, there was a plan to put the Black Buck raids on steroids by sending an Avro Vulcan to bomb airfield targets on mainland Argentina, potentially returning to RAF Waddington the long way round via Chile, Easter Island, Tahiti, Hawaii, the USA and Canada? Did you also know that during the Second World War, a proposal was made to build B-29 superfortresses in the UK, powered by Bristol Centaurus engines? If your answers to the above are yes, you're probably a regular reader of The Aviation Historian, the quarterly journal, print and digital, that explores the less well-trodden paths of flying history. If your answers are no, visit theaviationhistorian.com and see what you're missing. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran from Plane Crazy Down Under. And you're listening to Extended. And uh, some of those practical things then, Tommy, uh, you, you talked about the, the Technum Traveller and the evolution will be in the future to go to a hybrid electra, uh, a hybrid electric um, aircraft by uh, hopefully your partner's uh, Electra, you're talking about a nine-seater. I'm just trying to understand the dynamics around the sort of customer profile here because, you know, you, it, this isn't 20-kilo, 25-kilo uh, suitcases and things like that. How are you going to get around some of those weight and really practical weight, weight and balance challenges that might occur? Well, P2012 has a maximum uh, a takeoff weight of uh, 3,680 kilos. It can carry a payload of 1,414 kilos. Obviously, flying a decentral route from uh, within Europe, yeah. you don't need to carry 25 kilos, do you? And if you look what people carry nowadays, there is hardly any luggage. We have all of the overhead bins filled with those small luggages. It's 10 to 15 kilos max. And yeah. On 90% or even 95% of all of our routes, we won't have a payload issue. 
Um, okay. We will be able to carry nine passengers with a Teclan P2012 uh, with a baggage of 10 to 15 kilos. But we're also very clear in the communication here. If you want to carry more than 25 to 30 kilos, we just might not be the right fit airline for you. Um, mm. Because if you carry 30 kilos, um, most likely you have chosen the wrong airport and the wrong airline in that moment. Um, and when it comes to uh, when it comes to the, the operations, um, we talked a lot with Technam on on this aircraft, and we're using also uh, a lot of knowledge from the past and for the future manufacturers. Uh, the aircraft is super reliable and, and it serves its needs. I mean, Caper is using it. I think they already have received more than thirty of those aircraft. Uh, there is smaller operators now. They have just succeeded in selling two aircraft with another. Uh, order into Hawaii, uh, flying uh, between islands, and and the aircraft is just performing well. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's so, that's how uh, they manage it. So let me feel. Let me just get a feel then a little bit more around this customer experience um, piece. Um, I'm sat at home. Uh, I need to travel um, maybe 750 kilometers tomorrow. I've got a meeting. How do I do that? What happens next? All right. So at the beginning, you will um, open up our uh, Flyby booking platform. You will seek for the uh, closest airport of your choice. Uh, if it's in the system, then you can book it. Our system will tell you with which airport we can connect you in order to get closer to your uh, final point of destination. Um and the rest is uh, what we already know from today. You will book your flight. The more flexibility you give to us, the cheaper the price. The more restrictive the flexibility to the algorithm, the higher the price. So, you just that, so Sorry to interrupt you, Tommy. Just about that pricing model then. Um, if I want to be flexible, maybe I'm happy to have maybe a couple of stops. I'm an airplane geek, so I'm going to probably want to have a couple of stops. Um, do I know in advance that that's going to be a bit cheaper for me? Um, will I have a fixed price at that point? What happens, let's just say, two hours after I make my booking? Your algorithm works on maybe some other customers are built in. Does the price change again? Does it come down further? Oh, this is, this is a beautiful question for Anton. So his answer will be very easy. This is classical dynamic pricing. And yeah. I love to work on my pricing. The more bookings I get, the better pricing I can make. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to make money, right? Yeah, we want of course. to show profits of for investors. And yeah. obviously, if uh, within those two hours, we have received uh, a very high demand uh, on specific routes, the price will rise as well, even though you could book it in the cheapest booking price. So that's right. standard practice. Not everything that aviation does is bad. Actually, I think that 80% of what we do in aviation is great. And first and for an utmost is that we're the safest transport uh, possibility that you have there out in the space. Now, yeah. uh, when it comes to those uh, things, they're very good. What's not so good is that I cannot decide on how to fly for the future. And my big vision is... Now, looking a little bit more into the future, 10 years from now, you won't need to choose anything anymore. So what I would wish for is that we get into such a good prediction and such a strong network that you just tell me your address of departure and your address of arrival. And the rest is being solved by the algorithm as well. Vertically right. integrating other transport mobility providers like an Uber, like uh, train rides, etc., getting all of your door-to-door -door travel easier solved. And I just tell you, look, if you go from, uh, uh, I don't know, Birmingham Road 1 into Manchester Street 5, the closest airport for you is uh, Airport X, Y, Z. Uh, you can also choose from another one, get you maybe out there a little bit cheaper. Uh, but if you want to be really faster, like you would be using it in Google Maps, right? So we will yeah. give you yeah. solutions and you can still always pick for the best solution there is. Wow. It's really, really, really exciting. Uh, uh, I can see how this can really be e e exploited. Um, but if I'm, a, um, if I'm, a, a, I'm experiencing this, um, what sort of practical problems are you going to start to run into soon? I mean, we've talked about 
thousands of airfields. Of course, that's not going to be where you start. But you're going to have to form agreements with all those small airfields for landing rights and, um, I don't know, the uh, going to the local GA thing. How's that all going to fit together? Is that, um, you know, as we say, lever hitting the concrete, walking around and knocking on doors and, and signing these airports up? I'm really intrigued how you build your network. So my, my and our biggest concern is to train our customers on a different approach on how to book a travel. So you will need right. to do some thinking at the beginning, right? There yeah. is not this flight at 7 o'clock departing to London Heathrow, and there is no other possibility. So you book yeah. the one at 7 o'clock. So you need to understand that um, we, we took this different approach. So that's the most important thing, understanding the customer. Uh, being with a customer, talking to the customer, exchanging with the customer, listening to the customer. And then the same, but just in the other way, talking and exchanging with our partners and choosing the right airports that at the beginning also fuel the system and, and, and understand the system because at the other end we need airports that are willing to work with uh, uh, this small aircraft as they look like at the beginning. But for example, the airport of Münster Osnabrück, one of the first airports from the first hour that were like totally into Flyby, they've understood if we do things right, we won't be talking about only how many passengers do we transport. We will be also talking about all kinds of new routes that were opened from the airports that could have not been opened up with a classical CRJ that is just too expensive, has more than 50 seats and you will never be able to fly profitable. Yeah. So we'll be also talking about with Minster, look, why did we connect to 100 various decentral markets from Minster? What happened? How can we do this better? And at the same moment, exactly what you say, so we're not going into the last tier airport that is basically managed only by private pilots. We will need airports at the beginning who are with us, who have some kind of infrastructure available, who are used to handling business aviation, private aircraft, ad hoc flights, charter flights. This is this is an absolute need to us uh, because we need to give this promise. But our team will need to grow as well. So we will see. Um, I, I would say that at the beginning, we will need a lot of ground force, people who are with the customer, with the crew, with the, with the airport, and, and managing the system day by day until it becomes normality and until procedures and, and processes are, are well-trained. So that will take time. And this, again, is why we're not dreaming about operating 100 aircraft from year number one. It's a very staged approach, very slow start before escalation can kick in. And so what are some of the regulatory challenges that you've you've got to overcome to, to do this? And let's just for the moment, let's park the hybrid electric model. Let's look at the model you've got now with the uh, with the P2012 traveler. And um, what what regulatory problems are you do you need to overcome to make this happen? Uh, I'm trying to think them through here. Obviously, there's the technical flight planning things and, and stuff like that. But is there anything else? Well, in today's uh, European uh, Union, there is a lot of good things when it comes to operating an aircraft within Europe. But uh, the regulatory work will start, and we already started in uh, producing our aircraft uh, and manuals. Uh, choosing the right regulatory uh, aviation authority that will host our AOC. Uh, and, you know, when we start going into other markets, uh, there's also not only regulatory uh, work to be done from a pure airline perspective, there's also the, the open sector of hiring people, getting people to uh, work. Uh, where do you set up the company? Do you need to uh, when you open up the UK, it's closed from the EU, so you will need to have a new AOC with a UK CAA. Um, how, how am I going to perform cross-border flights? How often can my crews fly between Germany, France, Italy? Um, those things is also something that I'm, I'm thinking of uh, uh, loud a lot, and, and um, th th that will be like the first barriers. 
And the second one, well, obviously, at the beginning, once you're small, people don't take you too serious and, and they don't make your problems. But once people see that they can make money with that, um, we will need to talk uh, about facilities. We will need to talk about uh, conducting safe flights. Um, but I consider this to be manageable uh, because we have super professional CAAs all over Europe. And also here, again, it's training ourselves and discussing with our regulatory boards what needs to change if we want to scale and also understanding each other and finding the right fit uh, to, uh, to such an on-demand uh, um, model as, as we want to use it. Okay, well, that's that's really really interesting. Actually, thinking those things through as well. Uh, one of the things that that made me think about when you said, and then people will create problems for you as you grow, is what's the competition going to be like for you? Do you think how how are you going to mitigate the risk of people um, competing against you in this? Because we know there's a whole raft of um, electric mobility solutions out there at the moment so they're all going to pile in and they all feels very much like they need this type of model how do you protect your um your 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 technology integrity and your uniqueness well by being by being the best in the market just like ryan here where everybody wants to copy my model, but never achieves the operational efficiency like Ryan. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but uh, our low-cost on-demand model, if you want to talk uh, through like that, is something that Ryan is just perfect, perfect in. They're just optimized. They know every single thing in their system. They keep focused on their product. And this is how we will approach it. We will not change our path. Our path is very clear. Stay focused, do what you promise, and, and don't change just for the sake of a, of a few bucks more. So there's no ancillary, there's no extras. It's client pure. Secondly, when I'm looking into competition, it's, it's good to have competition, but if you would just take it from a flight perspective, from an airline perspective, our competition would be business aircraft. I believe strongly that there is a big need and, and it makes sense for very, very high net worth individuals to have their own private jets to fly in uh, some more privacy from one point to the other. But in the same moment, it will unlock um, this demand for middle managers, for uh, maybe uh, less income uh, people to travel with us um, by uh, just understanding that we can cut 80 to 90% of your travel time compared to a train and a car, which I would see to be our competition. Looking at the flag carriers and big airports, that's not competition to us. Here, it's all about partnering up. Let's see how we can work together. Let's see how we can connect your decentral needs, your regional needs, much better to us. The US, as a last word on that, is a perfect, uh, is a perfect example. After Corona, um, the, the big regional airports just lost their traffic and never came back up to speed because out of uh, the reason that there is no regional carriers anymore uh, fueling their hubs, but they have this big need to get this huge country connected much better. And um, I believe strongly that a model like uh, Flybe is one of the solutions to that. And is for the future then, um, Tommy, is, the, is this model scalable? So, you know, I'm going to ask you in a minute, when's it coming here? Because I want it. I want it now. I so much want it now. I live in a rural community um, that's not far from from um, the centre of London. It's 120 miles, 160, 170 kilometres, but it takes me four hours, you know, to get there. So how scalable is your model once you start to prove its success? Is the future moving into large markets like the wider Europe and then into places like the US? Well, well, 15 years ago, the young Tommy Lang would have said, I will conquer the world. Today, <laughs> I, say, today I say, and I have learned, uh, let's start with, with my background first. Let's start yeah. with, with uh, 
before with the euro. Let's start with the first three hours in Germany. But obviously, there is space also for more than just 5e. I mean, this whole new market, EV tools coming there is plenty of space if we use things right. And in Europe, we can utilize approximately 3,500 Worldwide, we can utilize 22,000 We have people calling us from Asia, from Argentina, uh, from the South, from South America, uh, telling us that their market is bigger. Uh, might be, but we have to start where, where we are from. And yeah. We're from the central core of, of Central Europe, uh, being located in Germany. We know that the UK is a big market, but never say never. What we also see is that if we build our software right, if we build the know-how right, um, there are models in place. Let's see how we can grow. This is what we discussed with Electra. Um, I mean, I cannot grow... Uh, exponentially that I will have a natural growth barrier. I need to train pilots. I need to yeah. uh, ramp up the organization in the right manner in the right time. If you grow too big, too fast, you're doomed to not survive. Yeah. So therefore, I'd rather use my knowledge and have other markets grow, which will confirm that my market is also legitimate. And then let's see how the future brings. So from conquering the world, Yes, I would love to do that, but it's not uh, realistic. It is realistic that by 2035, we are the right people to uh, to fly 70 to 100 aircraft. That's already quite a big uh, big thing that yeah. we need to achieve. Okay. Um, and a question I have to ask you is, how safe is, is this going to be? It's going to be as safe as every other flight you have on an Airbus and on any other uh, well-known aircraft, uh, the Technam uh, P2012 and also the Electra will need to prove that. It's not there yet. They're on prototype. I know them. There are super professional people. Uh, many of those engineers uh, work for Boeing and other bigger uh, aircraft companies. Um, we're luckily in this certified world where you cannot fly a CS23 or CS25 aircraft if you don't prove during your type certification that your aircraft comes at high safety. Now that's number one. If you have a TC, if uh, the regulator has proven that and your aircraft has proven that uh, based on analytics, we know that the P2012 has a reliability of uh, above 99%. Uh, it uh, can be utilized uh, at, at 97%. Um, it's super safe. Yeah. Um, and I flew with it. I felt super safe with it. Um, but then there is more than that. There is, and this is why you cannot copy an airline just like that. You need to have the right people in place with the, with the right safety mentality. And for me, nothing comes at cost of safety. So our pilots will be trained well. We can fly at single cockpit, at single cockpit certified. We will always fly with two pilots at the beginning. Let's see if we can, if we could also fly with only one pilot, which is in that category, not unusual in the United States. Uh, for example, they do that much more than we do in Europe. But look, costs cannot be the reason for reducing safety. So as long as safety is, is, uh, is not adhered to, um, there is nothing around that. So taking those two components, the aircraft manufacturer, the certification part, and us as an airline, people who are managing airlines for more than 50 years, if you count all of us, me being uh, the third time in my life CEO and accountable manager of an airline, I never had a bigger issue, and this will remain like that. I, that's super important to me. Very good. Very good. I like that answer. Um, it does feel very sound, the whole, the whole process. So where are you on the journey uh, at the moment, where where are things? What what can we see happening next? You can see us talk to even more airports. You can see us uh, spreading our message uh, throughout the aviation space much stronger. Which one of the successes is that people like you, Peter, talk to us today. Um, we're in full fundraising phase. We're seeking for the right investors um, to kickstart our project. 
We've been successful with the first one who onboarded uh, just six months ago. We're very happy to have Sebastian Meria as our uh, shareholder on board who believes in our idea very strongly and, and who understands the idea and who's also backing it up. And it will be all about um, finding the right partners uh, also on the investor side to uh, provide us with the capital and the assets that are basically needed to uh, run a profitable business model. Our plan remains unchanged. We'd love to have the first ticket sold mid-2024. By then, we have to finalize the software to be built. We want to introduce the first four airplanes by 2025 and commence our first flight uh, in the same time. So, yeah, maybe maybe I'm... Uh, uh, you call me crazy. I call myself um, crazy. Uh, because I know that's a big, I know that's a big thing to achieve, and I, I'm just very confident that we will find the right people. And uh, cool. there is a customer base out there waiting for this product. There is investors out there that we don't know yet. Many of the investors we talk to confirm our business plan, and and are already looking into it and and get to be attracted uh, more and more. But Look, this is not the next small software delivering you uh, food to your door. It's an investment that needs to be thought through very well. You need to run through the data. You need to understand the business case. So building an airline comes also at cost of time. And we will take the time that we need. And as long as everybody is as motivated as myself, which everybody is, um, then I'm, I'm confident we will make it. And I really want to do this. I can feel I can feel the passion coming through here, Tommy. It really feels like the excitement's there to drive this forwards. All things being equal, and let's just let's 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 plan for that first flight in um, in twenty twenty five. Where do you see things in twenty thirty? What's the next? What's that first five year picture look like? Well, in twenty thirty, we have we have. Uh, achieved our first uh, profitability. So this is what the business case shows two years uh, into operation uh, at constant growth rates. Um, we can show first positive unit economics, so we're not burning any cash anymore in the operation. And then 2030, uh, we have the first profits uh, on, on our from there on, um, we have to uh, reiterate constantly, uh, look back and forth, what can be adopted, what can be shaped better, look into the algorithm, look into the software development, and constantly reinvent um, the wheel and constantly improve on the operation because handling four aircraft and 70, that's a huge uh, thing to, to manage. So we need to bring on the right people to grow the company, there will be plenty of work uh, to do. And, well, the greatest thing would be that if I would have a wish, on the 20th of October 2030, um, I have and we have secured eight, eight airplanes to fly from the airport of Bern, and I will tell you why. Because if we make that happen, then uh, we have the 20-year jubilee of Skywork Airlines that is also still alive within Flyby. That would be just a great thing to have. Uh, it, it would. It would. So, um, Tommy, where can we find out more about um, SkyV online? Where's your presence? So uh, our presence is uh, on flyvbird.com. Um, we have a web page that is describing 47 minutes that we just uh, had uh, within uh, a few words. You can look up a few uh, of uh, our first iterations to the prototype on our on YouTube channel. Uh, we have a very great LinkedIn channel with uh, growing numbers, followers that we're also very proud of. And uh, you're free to contact us anytime through our uh, email address, which is contact at flyebert.com. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really, really enjoyed it. I do genuinely wish you folks all the success for the future.
Thank you very much, Peter. And I would love to welcome you as one of our guests soon um, <laughs> and uh, save you four hours of travel to be connected. <laughs> yes, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. And I'd like to thank Alison for helping bring us together to, to, to get this chat as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it. Um, we'd just like to thank some of our supporters, Mikoki at the Aviation Historian and Simon Jakubowski at the Aviation Enthusiasts Book Club. You can find me at Nascot Hornet on Twitter and you can find Ellie, Tim and Gareth on our Facebook, Instagram, threads and Twitter feeds. And that's it with the arrival of the music. It's goodbye from Tommy. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, Peter Johnson. Stay tuned to this frequency. That is, of course, Aerospace Radio Station Extended. legal policy and use of our material can be found on our website please do ask before using anything you hear programs produced with a creative commons license please leave us a review wherever you play your podcast it genuinely helps grow our program and broaden its reach you can also review the program and leave us feedback on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to email us, our email address is getinvolved at aviationextended.co.uk. And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. From across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you... The Royal Aeronautical Society is the world's only professional body dedicated to the entire aerospace community. Established in 1866 to further the art, science and engineering of aeronautics, the Society has remained at the forefront of developments in aerospace. Visit www.aerosociety.com Extend it! This is XTP Media.